Alrighty, well, welcome on my next guest. We've got Andy Slavitt, former acting administrator of the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Andy, has everything going? Wild world right now we're living in. Hey, Zach. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Absolutely. So um, with everything going on right now, are you are you showing, do you have signs of hope that we're kind of get, getting this together or are you concerned? Well, I mean, the, the signs of hope are actually from around the world uh, that you see countries in Europe and in Asia and in Australia and New Zealand who are um, who've figured out how to live alongside the virus with very low case counts and get back to approximation of normal. You know, they still have a, um, I think, a fair amount of, they're still very watchful. Here in the U.S., we've not been as successful, but it's not because it's not possible. Uh, it's because we just haven't really put in the work yet. Um, what what percentage of the country do you think is taking this seriously? I think most of it is. Um, uh, the The problem is we need the our national leadership to help. You know, each of us as individuals can can play a, a role, but uh, but we need our national, state, local leaders to do that. I think uh, to the extent that they are, it's increasingly after they see the problems rather than anticipating the problems. It's yeah. not the kind of leadership that we're used to here in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I have a question, just a, just a kind of quick question, because I see it all the time. What percentage effectiveness is it if somebody's wearing a mask and they're not covering their nose? Well, it depends on the mask. Um, but um, most masks, and you say if they're not covering their nose? They're not covering their nose. Well, how effective is it to be, have a submarine with four doors closed and one open? <laughs> it slow, it, it'll be effective in the beginning, and then slowly but surely disaster will happen. Yeah, I mean, particularly kids. I mean, kids don't cover their nose when they sneeze. Um, they don't, uh, you know, they, they, they cough, you know, a lot. And so particularly for, for people who like that, that's, that's important. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, you cover the nose and the mouth. Yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And then, so, so speaking of, of sports, since I, this is majority of sports podcast, what have been your impressions of how the NBA, the NHL, and Major League Soccer have kind of created individual communities to kind of prevent this virus? Well, I've been pretty close to the NBA in this process. I've been working with them on um, a, a creating a very low-cost saliva test that should be able to use uh, frequently around the country. Um, that's very close to being approved with the FDA. Oh, cool. Um, they are, uh, their bubble concept, I think, proves, should be proving a point to a lot of us, which is that when the virus has no place to spread, it goes away. Uh, that's the name of my podcast, In the Bubble. Yeah. Um, and so they're doing, uh, they're doing good work there. Um, the, uh, the, uh, so, you know, I'm, I'm most familiar with what they're doing, and I think you contrast that with what MLB has done, which is essentially more or less um, live like the rest of us do a little bit carefully, yeah. but still doing things that expose them, uh, traveling, yeah. uh, getting on airplanes, uh, and so forth. And that's not proving to be as effective. And it's, you know, it's putting the league in, in some danger. Are you concerned about the NFL's plan this year? Because they really don't have a plan B. I'm concerned about the NFL because, uh, you know, there's a lot of coaches that are older. Yeah. Um, you know, as you know, not every lineman is in perfect shape. Yeah. Um, some of these are, are young kids. Some of them are a little bit older and, you know, we're in a, one of these situations where everybody's action affects everybody else. Yeah. So how well do you know all your teammates? You know, I had Adam Schefter on, on my podcast talking about this. It's sort of like, you know, 
after the game, you know, a bunch of people go home and they're careful and others go out to bars uh, and they think they're safe. And then you get back in the team room, uh, you know, you get in a huddle where you're in each other's faces. Um, so it's very hard to imagine that there won't be a lot of spread um, uh, once the NFL kicks in, if it kicks in. Is the NFL reaching out to you about potentially any tactics they could do to kind of like prevent risk or not? And you, you not, not really? I haven't talked to NFL directly. I've talked to a number of um, sports writers and yeah. and others who are close to the league. Um, but, um, you know, I don't think they're taking anything close to the NBA's approach. No. no. Do, do you think it'd be possible if they did 32 individual bubbles? Kind of like, I was thinking about it today. If they had like, just kind of like little bases, like they had little individual communities where the families could be with them and they would only travel to games and to practice and then back to the bubble for the foreseeable future. Do you think that's an effective way to kind of, prevent a lot of risk because of course there's going to be some cases but do you think that's a way to drive the number way down it sounds like the mlb yeah so, so yeah, no, yeah, I no i don't i don't know i don't you know i don't think so i mean there's like there's things they can do to yeah. reduce the risk but the problem is once there's a, a few cases they spread pretty quickly yeah uh, cadence of testing is important you know t- test every day if you test every day and isolate anybody who has something you know you you will reduce a lot of broad spread but you got to be testing uh, every single day after every single event occurrence. And I don't know if they have that kind of testing. And if they had that kind of testing, I'm not sure it's appropriate for them to use up all that testing. Yeah. Yeah. And then with the, with the testing you were talking about, that's going to be passed by the FDA with the, the swab. How soon would you get results back? So, uh, so it's called saliva direct. It doesn't require a swab. Um, they could be done for just a few bucks. Um, and so they should be able to turn, be turned around um, much more rapidly. Oh, cool. That's awesome. And then what are your concerns a lot with a lot of these false positives, kind of giving them false hope and potentially putting more people at risk? Um, it's, there is my concern about false hope. What's, the, false, the false positive tests. Positives. Yeah. I mean, these are not, these are not all great tests. Um, so we have to know what we're in for. I mean, I think you need certain levels of test testing for um, people who have symptoms and you need uh, you probably don't need quite that high a level if you're going to test a lot of people who are asymptomatic in order to figure out where things have spread. Um, so, you know, not every test, you know, is, has to be perfect, but it has to be applied uh, well. And, uh, and you know, we will have to continue to, to watch the data. We've got to be focused on, um, you know, making sure that if there's not good data to support tests, we stop it and replace it with another one. And so I've been following along with your, your threads that you post very often about just kind of what we can do as a country. And so if everybody in the country realized the severity of what we were going through right now, wore masks, did distancing, only went out for essentials, grocery stores, uh, people do takeout, restaurants closed, inside bars closed, um, everything, just the bare minimum. How quickly could we drive down this uh, uh, outbreak? Well, just look at New York. I mean, New York had as quick a decline as they did a rise. If you look at the shape of the curve, yeah. it was went pretty close to straight up and it's gone pretty close to straight down. And that's because they've done a lot of the things that, uh, that you just mentioned. Yeah. And then so, so far we've already seen more than 150,000 people lose their life um, from this virus. If the entire country and the, everybody in Washington had taken this seriously from the start, what do you think that number could have been? Well, I think, you know, if we, if we had a sort of level of loss of life that they had in Germany, which is a country that's very large, uh, diverse, maybe not as diverse as ours, et cetera, you know, we probably would have lost about, um, you know, we lost, would have lost probably about 20% as many as we've lost uh, to date. So, uh, you know, I think 
um, we at this point we should be looking at at every death as uh, as having been preventable from here on in. What what do you what so beginning part beginning of the pandemic it was mostly people sort of later in age that were being affected and now it's mostly young people. Why do you think young people as a whole are not taking this seriously at all? Well, I don't I don't think your characterization is 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 correct. I think there were a lot of young people affected. Uh, in, in, in February and March in New York. Um, and, and what happens is it spreads in places where it's easiest to spread. So it goes to um, places where there's a lot of indoor activity, where a lot of people are together uh, uh, in, uh, without a lot of ventilation, breathing the same air. And from there it spreads um, because you can't perfectly cocoon older populations. So from there in New York, it spread to older populations. Same thing happened in Florida. Yeah. Texas and Arizona, um, as it got hot, people went indoors with the air conditioning and uh, it started with younger people and then spread to older people. And unfortunately, you know, it spreads to working people. It spreads to people who are essential workers, uh, farm laborers, uh, people who live in congregate settings like nursing homes. Uh, so, you know, people uh, like myself who have an easier time socially distancing, you know, we're, we're, you know, we're not putting ourselves as, at risk. And I hope that young people realize that even if they don't feel personally at risk, they are undoubtedly putting others at risk because um, it is, unless you um, can completely isolate from other people, which I don't think many people can, can um, be sure they're doing, um, you know, the, the risk of spread is quite high. And then the one other thing I wanted to ask you about is I know you had brought up the expression just to throw the kitchen sink at this virus. How, what did you mean by that and how could we carry that out? Well, We've got to decide if we want to make this the most important thing. Um, if right now we're not treating this virus as if it's the most important thing for us to do as a country, uh, we're, we want to send our kids back to school on time in person. We want to open up businesses, we want to open up the economy, etc. I would argue that if we consider this the most important thing, those things will happen much more quickly uh, because we will have a very low spread and people will feel much safer and we'll be able to do those things. But right now we're not willing to take the steps by throwing the kitchen. Cause if we, if we think it's the most important thing, we'll do what we'll throw the kitchen sink at this. We'll do everything we know works. And it's not a mystery what works. You know, it's not that we're sitting here saying, wow, there, we just can't figure this thing out. Um, the rest of the world has figured it out. We figured it out. We just have, uh, other than perhaps New York, we've refused to take the steps. That's interesting. Do you, do you think all of the marches and protests led to any of the spikes, or do you think most people were being responsible wearing uh, proper protection? I think you're safer if you are outdoors than indoors. I think you're safer if you're social distancing than not social distancing. So if you said, you know, uh, and, and you're safer if you're not speaking into people's faces. So if you said to me, you know, being indoor in a church that's closed, singing in a choir, that feels a lot more dangerous than being outside, wearing a mask, protesting and, and distancing. Uh, now, having said that, if you're in a protesting situation and people, um, you know, the, the um, police hem you in or put you in a, in, a, uh, in a jail or spray mace, which makes you sneeze and cough, those are all things that, that can be problematic. But here in, in Minneapolis, where the protests started, haven't, they haven't traced... Um, the, the protest is a hotspot. They have traced 15 bars in Minneapolis, yeah. 
uh, where people have been congregating, younger people have been congregating um, as major hotspots, but so far not the protests. Doesn't mean that they're not, that you don't need to take precautions, yeah. but out, I, I'm much more comfortable with people outdoors. Are you expecting another massive shutdown of everything or do you think they're just going to kind of ride it out? Well, it's, it's an interesting question. Um, I think um, we're seeing governors from all over the country, Mississippi, Alabama, Arkansas, Texas, very um, conservative states who are now mandating masks, closing bars, doing all of these things. And you know the, the general population, um, according to recent polls, 60% believe there ought to be a real large-scale shutdown again to really get rid of this virus. Um, the president's resistant so far. Um, I think the president um, acts when either his polls go down or the stock market goes down. Um, so he'll do as little as he needs to do, I believe. Um, if the crisis gets bad enough, if he's going to do it, he should have done it earlier. If, he's, what, if he didn't do it then, he should do it now. Yeah. Um, if he doesn't do it soon, I worry that, you know, he's going to get, um, you know, closer up in, into the election. Uh, and, you know, there's all sorts of implications there. Definitely, definitely. Well, this has been really, really interesting. And I wanted to thank you again for taking the time. And for, for your podcast, how can people find it? Because you've had some amazing guests. I saw you had Andrew Yang today. As you said, you had Adam Schefter. I've seen Bernie Sanders. You've got an incredible um, list of guests. And it's really, really interesting topics that people really should hear. How can they find that easily? It's called In the Bubble. And I, wherever people listen to podcasts, all the podcasting platforms, um, you can find it. And it's, uh, it's an enjoyable show. I hope if people listen, they enjoy it. Absolutely. And then how can people find you on social media? Because you're always spreading great information that people really need to hear. Uh, Twitter is at a Slavitt. I think, I think my, I got an Instagram at, at Andy Slavitt, but I don't use it all that much. Um, so, but glad to share the latest people want to uh, come on. Definitely, definitely. Well, this has been fantastic. I want to thank you again for especially all the work you're doing and all the great information you're putting out. I hope we can put this virus behind us sooner rather than later. Thanks, Zach. Sounds like you're doing a great job here. Appreciate it. Appreciate it.